Hello, everyone, and welcome to BookNet's podcast. I'm Krista Mitchell, the marketing associate here at BookNet Canada. Have you ever imagined what it would be like to pick up a print book and be unable to read the words for yourself? Maybe the font is too small, or the words appear out of order despite your best efforts. Maybe the only way you could read that book is to have someone read it to you. For at least 15% of the world's population, they don't have to imagine the frustrations that come from the simple act of opening a book. They live it. For the 15% who use assisted technology due to a disability, and the 85% of the non-disabled market who utilize assistive tech due to a situational disability, accessible ebooks open up the world of reading and break down the barriers to education. It would seem then that building accessible features into ebooks like text to speech, resizable text, and even descriptive text for images and diagrams would be a no-brainer. But cost and even the ebook production process itself can be prohibitive to making ebooks more accessible. Joining us this month, Laura Brady, ebook developer and principal of Brady Type, will join us to talk about the importance of accessibility, ableist privilege, coding that old book spell, and more. My name is Laura Brady. I'm an ebook developer um, based just a little bit north of Toronto. I have I, I do backlist conversions, frontlist conversions. I'm a consultor. I, I consult on digital publishing and also do a lot of training and public speaking on these topics. I am, uh, have been developing ebooks since about 2009 um, and um, have recently become worried about the, how the work that I, that I do and people like me do impact end users' experience from an accessibility perspective. And that's me. So you've been developing ebooks since ebooks were around, right? Pretty much, uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, not exactly in 2007 when the Kindle came out, but I, I started thinking about it um, pretty quickly. And how do you feel that, well, first of all, let's talk about accessibility. I pulled some statistics from your tech forum presentation, and you said that 15% of the world population uses assistive technology due to having a disability. And 85% mm-hmm. of the population that doesn't have a disability have a situational disability, which sometimes requires them to need accessibility services. So how do you feel That's that right. those statistics impact the way we should approach ebooks? So, so basically, I, I, I really think that everyone benefits in the, in the, um, at the end of the day from good accessibility best practices. Um, whether or not it's a situational disability, like you're in your car and you use Siri to send text, or if it's a, um, you know, something, uh, something different. I used to use, uh, I used to use captioning on my television all the time when I was, when my children were little and I was stuck in front of the TV while they napped on me or breastfed or something like that. So I was thinking about that situational disability. That's a, a minor use of it, but, um, People use it in their work all the time and use it in their leisure time as well. The uh, the idea is that as the population ages as well, people naturally develop a predisability. And, and so pretty much everyone is impacted by having good accessibility features built into your ebooks eventually anyway. That's true. And if we have this technology to build these features into the ebooks, it's curious to me that it doesn't happen more often. Do you find that there's yeah, a lot of I, So, so what I think is that there's, there's. I mean, I think that the BISG's uh, Quick Start Accessibility Guideline, um, which is an excellent resource, and sort of me proselytizing it like this, it raises awareness. Um, I think that people 
I think that people think that if it renders well and it looks good to them, it's good to go. But if you if you scratch the surface and do a little bit more testing from an accessibility perspective, it's not always good to go. But but people just don't think about it that partly because of cost and time. Um, Ebooks are all, almost always still an afterthought to the production process, and so they just want it done quickly and onto the marketplace, and we'll think about QAing it or troubleshooting it later. And so there, I think that a lot of accessibility testing, for example, is not built into the process, even into the general QA process. And so partly it's the tools. They're not built from an accessibility perspective. Partly it's just the way it's done it's because ebooks are thought of as a secondary, you know, they're thought of as an afterthought to the print product still. That's true. That brings me to sort of a debate that's been raging in our industry, I think, since ebooks became a thing, is this print versus ebook debate. I think every week a new article pops up, like the death of ebooks, the rise of print. Do you, how do you, like, as a person who makes you feel that they should be in opposition like this or that we're making products that go hand in hand together? So what I think is that the people with the, the print book smell fetish are speaking from a really privileged position. I think that the whole promise of digital publishing um, is that we can be really inclusive and that um, and that if you're not thinking of your ebook from an from a accessibility perspective, then you're kind of missing the point of the democracy of this format. And so people who are like, oh, I can only read print books. I love the smell of e of print um, and ebooks hurt my eyes. They're really, it's such a privileged position to take. They're really ignoring that people need ebooks um, in order to read. Look, this is how they consume that content and otherwise they maybe couldn't or they would have to wait on a large print version or a braille edition which is several more layers of later, later, later. Um, which is interesting so those, because you never see any articles saying, you know, print versus large print or print versus Braille. No. So they're not yeah. looking at books from like a, an accessibility standpoint, like you said. Instead, they're rather I, I, it as something that's taking away from the print market share. Yeah, I, I, it really is... Um, it's a little bit obnoxious, for sure, but it's also just ignoring that whole this whole sort of rich theme of what digital publishing can do. Um, it's just ignoring it altogether because um, they like the feel of paper in their hands. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we had, I guess, like the sky is the limit for what technology can do right now. If you can dream it, you can build it into an ebook. Is sort of the approach that. I think some people in the industry would like to take. What do you think are the barriers to making more accessible ebooks? What could bring down the cost or the time dedicated to it? Well, uh, so so one quick thing is I think that the idea that building accessible ebooks costs more is a bit of a fiction. Um, I, I mean, one of the major arguments for making accessible ebooks is that you then reach a much broader audience. Um, there's a statistic that I found in my research from the Italian Publishing Association, um, which stated that blind people actually consume more um, books than uh, not print, print disabled people. So, so, uh, and if your books are built accessible from get go, they're more likely to get um, purchased by uh, um, 
libraries and other institutions which can only buy accessible content if they're using any kind of government funding, for example. So, so creating accessible, rich content actually it means the reading experience is better for everyone, but it also means that your, your content is more saleable. It actually adds value and extends the long tail of the book. So um, I think that people haven't made accessible ebooks um, a priority now because they think it's more expensive. It takes a little bit more time, but it pays off um, um, richly in the long run. Uh, so I, I think that's a bit of a myth and a fiction. And what was the other part of your question? I'm sorry, Krista. Actually, I want to run with what you just said. You, In your text okay. form presentation, you said that sometimes the publisher's process of converting to ebook actually strips the file of the metadata needed by accessible technology. Yeah. So if yeah. they're already building the, the tech into the book, how does it happen that they then remove that added value? So what happens is that if you're using a product like, for example, InDesign, um, it kind of exports um, it exports sort of structure without a ton of meaning. Um, so it it doesn't build in sections and subsections, and it doesn't um, mark citations properly or mark contents as an aside properly. So so what it does is it gives you a kind of a generic product. Um, and that generic product is kind of a minimum viable product. And that's why, um, say, for example, an EPUB that's exported from InDesign still needs a fair bit of remediation to meet a minimum standard of accessibility. It's not using HTML5 tags properly, for example. So, um, and, then, and then the metadata that describes that product, ideally it travels in an Onyx feed that travel with your ebook, right? But you can build a lot of metadata even into that InDesign file. I think this is something that's an underused feature of InDesign, um, but it's there and it can be done. So you said when we were talking before during email, um, well, and also you just said now that InDesign can create a minimally viable product. How do we go mm -hmm. about sort of re, what would the process be for rebuilding that value into InDesign? Are there sort of best practices that ebook builders can follow? So uh, uh, one of my messages um, is that what comes out of InDesign, you, um, uh, people need to use InDesign knowing where it fails um, and to squeeze the life out of it. So um, there are a lot of things you can do to get rich EPUB 3 out of InDesign. Some of the features are hidden. Some of them involve adding scripts into your work, work process. Um, but once you do that, there's still you still need to do some editing post-export. Um, and some people aren't fully comfortable with that, and they need to get down with it. They need to get their hands dirty in HTML and crack those EPUBs open and fix them up, add the section tags and figure tags and all those other HTML5 tags that um, don't, get, don't get added by InDesign. If, if the generic tags mean that there's not a lot of semantics semantic meaning in, in your HTML5, in your HTML, and so if you add those tags, then, then your book, your content can be read by a machine. It's machine readable and it makes sense to um, text-to-speech readers, for example, or any other, it, and, and it actually means that your content is ready for whatever, um, whatever innovation is next, whatever is coming next in the digital publishing space, maybe something we can't even quite imagine yet. What do you think is coming next? 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's not <laughs> useful, is it? I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I mean, but I think that making... So the other thing about InDesign is it creates really overburdened HTML. Um, so tables and footnotes, for example, have all these classes and all these IDs piled on top of them that they don't need. Um, and, and that overburdened HTML is just not going to function as well as simplified HTML. So clean, simple code is going to be able to survive whatever, whatever the next innovation is. And that's always... So that's what I always focus on when I'm developing ebooks is making it as simple as possible and making sure that the semantics are there so that when my book, for example, becomes separated from the CSS that I use to style the book and make it look pretty, and it will happen that it becomes separated from the CSS. There are reading systems that just ignore that and, and put in overrides on any content. And when that happens, the presentation still makes sense to sighted readers and the interpretation of that content will hold for people who are print disabled. Do you think that this need for sort of more accessibility is combined possibly with the current trend of rising audiobooks right now? Audiobooks are going uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I also think, I think that wanting to think about accessibility is a sign of a mature field as well. Like moving on from just basic best practices to, to how can we reach a broader audience is a sign of a mature um, industry. So ebooks are they're no longer teenagers, right? They're a little bit more grown up, and let's treat them that way and make sure that they're working for everybody. Um, but also, uh, a well-made ebook then can be read by text-to-speech readers, and they are becoming really sophisticated. Audiobooks are awesome, but they're expensive to produce, and they require an actor to read the, um, or a specialist anyway, to read the content, um, and then for the recorder to be made and for it to be put up on sale for in an audiobook store. But a lot of um, print-disabled readers that consume content like the web and ebooks via text-to-speech readers are using voiceover technology. Um, and those are really sophisticated. There's one called Natural Reader, which has um, like a hundred different voice styles built into it. So you can have that content read to you in a fairly sophisticated way by a machine, but a robot, right? Um, and that's kind of phenomenal. Do you think maybe in the future it would be responsible of our industry to sort of make bundling more of an option? Like if you purchase a print book, maybe ebooks should come with it for more mm -hmm. accessibility. That's always made a lot of sense to me. I, I know that there are couple of small publishers in Toronto who do it, and it's made a lot of sense to me. Um, Riley does it as well. They don't bundle it. You can buy the ebook as well for just a little bit more. Um, and that makes sense because you don't always know how you're going to use the content. Sometimes print is really how you want to consume it for note-taking or, you know, whatever. I can't imagine reasons. Maybe because you like the smell. I don't know. Um, and then digital is an add-on for when you can't use print. I, it makes a ton of sense to me to bundle. And I'm never really sure why more people don't do it. And I think that it must, I mean, I don't understand the back end of publishing. Sales isn't my specialty. So there must be barriers to it. But in my um, opinion, it makes a ton of sense. There's like a 
a recent article going around too about the science behind people who say that they love the smell of old books and it's apparently a chemical mm-hmm. reaction that we're reacting to. I wonder if there'll ever be a time where they build that smell into ebooks. That would be technology. <laughs> but it could be um Krista over my dead body. <laughs> I'm just imagining you having to code smell into something in the future. Yeah. Oh, brother. Can you imagine? That would be actually super interesting and more uh, you know, treating all your senses in one experience. Maybe VR for ebooks, right? It comes with smell. And, yeah. The is moving towards that virtual reality experience. People are starting to experiment with it more and more. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Why not try it? <laughs> why not? Yeah. That's not a big seller on the, on the market. Sure. It's a, you know, you can do a Kobo has an e-reader that you can dip in your bathtub if you want to. So the smell can't be all that far off. That was my major barrier to e-books, I think, was not being able to take them in the bathtub for fear that I would drop right. my device in there. But I feel right. just as devastated when I drop my actual book in the bath. So. Right. Yeah. It's even more ruined, right? It that is. print book. Then it starts to go moldy, let alone short-circuiting. Yeah, and the smell is not good. No, that ruins the smell of the old book for sure. The bath does not. For sure, yeah. The other thing about the article about the chemical reaction to the smell of print um, is that print has only existed for 500 years. It's actually a relatively new technology. Before that, it was, you know, everything was treated differently, and books were uh, Books were a serious privilege that only the upper classes or learned classes had. So um, there's there's some real chauvinism in even in those articles about the chemical reaction of print, right? Well, that's an interesting point that you bring up. That print is actually a relatively new technology that was treated yeah. much the way that ebooks are sort of treated now. People are touting it as the death of you know mm-hmm. oral tradition, which turned out to you know be true in a way but also provided much more accessibility to the masses to education. So Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. E-books, I think, are going through sort of the same trials that every new technology goes through when it emerges, mm-hmm. becoming more widely accepted because it opens doors to those who mm-hmm. would have been excluded, which is what we're talking about, accessibility. Yeah, yeah the democratic process of um, or promise of digital publishing is just like the democratic promise of print uh, production and how it meant that more people could access books more widely. And this is the same exact same phenomenon, right? Just slightly tweaked. It's about e-books instead of print books. Right. Also, I, every time I see one of those articles that locks them in opposition, it sort of baffles me that we're still, I don't know, squabbling about uh, them. <laughs> squabbling yeah, it's, it's, it's such a boring conversation at but this they, point. They, right? they, they feed different needs. Ebooks yeah, are fine. Yeah. Definitely. And it actually makes me, it turns me into this huge ebook advocate. And in fact, I, I would say I read ebooks 50% of the time and I read print 50% of the time. I'm an old school typester, right? I love print. I, um, I'm, I'm not ready to argue that it's the only way that people should read. I don't think anyone's actually arguing that. But those articles sort of set up that dichotomy, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that anyone is really trying to argue that, but the message comes across that way. And it's, That's, it's very it totally does. At this point, and trying to find yeah. 
that more people can read. People that yeah. previously would be limited to reading can now be read too by ebooks, and that's a beautiful thing. Right. Just read. Don't worry about how you read. Just do it. That'll be the title of this and podcast. Hashtag just read. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Are there any topics that we haven't sort of touched on that you, you're interested in going over? So uh, the QA is really important, uh, a really important piece. I mean, I think that people who produce ebooks or um, people who think about ebooks and selling print books and ebooks need to consume it the way that their consumers consume it. So that means that sales directors should be reading ebooks um, and production managers should be turning on voiceover on their phone and consuming an ebook and seeing what happens because it it can be um, it can be quite amazing. It can be a little bit alarming, um, but it will definitely be surprising to the people who do it. Um, and there's no way to understand um, how accessible content is consumed it, um, except by doing it um, by turning on text to speech, for example, and trying trying to consume it the way that y- your audience is consuming it, and that the people that you're targeting as your audience are going to read it. Yes, that does sound like a really important aspect of making sure that... What if you yeah. turned on that voiceover and something completely unexpected came out and nobody yeah, had yeah. done that before the ebook was... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Schultz, who spoke at Tech Forum in 2015, he talked about dog fooding. Um, and this is the idea that people who make books should be consuming those books. Um, and consuming them however their readers consume them. So people should be reading ebooks and people should be um, turning voiceover on and seeing what happens. Um, and that this is an important part of the process and understanding how books are consumed. I think that's important as well from like a user experience standpoint. If you absolutely if you get an ebook and you don't know how if you don't even know how to turn on the voiceover function, that's a huge barrier. Yeah. Go find it on your phone. It's there. I promise. All of them have it built in. And then and then turn it on and see how your phone talks at you constantly and drives you a little bit mad um, just trying to navigate where you want to go. It's a funny experience. Um, I found it really frustrating. And obviously, I'm speaking from a position of privilege. So um, imagine how it is to someone who has got a couple of barriers to even turning that on and and understanding what's happening. That's true. Um, do you mm-hmm. find that, the, I guess, between large large presses and small presses, the approach to accessibility in ebooks is any different, or do you find they sort of approach them in a similar way? So what I've always found um, in the digital publishing space is that smaller presses are more responsive and more agile and ready to tweak their production process um, more quickly and to think these things through, um, partly because the decision-making chain is smaller. Um, um, they almost always have been making nice free books um, this whole time because they've, been, they've had, uh, they, they, I, I, for whatever reason, they just have been able to do it better from the get-go. Um, now I, I'm not analyzing the e-books that smaller presses put out for, for accessibility Standpoint, so I can't say for sure, but I imagine that they're actually better at it and that they can think it through um, more quickly and make changes to their process more quickly. It's interesting to me that smaller presses seem quicker to embrace 
sort of different technology from an experimental I think that, I think it has something to do with small presses have uh, fewer resources. So those people who work there are wearing more hats. And um, it's the old idiom that if you want something done, give it to someone who's busy um, because it will get done really quickly. I think I think that's what's happening here. In um, from my own um, experience, that's definitely what's happening. These people are doing three or four different jobs at once, and they can they can just get it done more quickly because they're so busy. How do you think that the backlist should be approached with regards to accessibility? Do you think that maybe publishers should revisit old ebooks that they put out and start adding enhanced accessibility features? Really great question. I don't know that there's a straightforward answer to that. I would say yes, of course they should, but I'm not spending the money and the resources on that. So um, easy for me to say, right? I think that, uh, especially in the ebook space, there's been a trend to wait till someone complains about a product and then to fix it. Um, so put it on the market, see if anyone chirps about it, and then put some effort and remediation into it. Um, I think it's a great idea because it makes your content, you know, it, it means that the long tail of that content is extended even further. Uh, but easy for me to say. That could be an interesting business venture for a few developers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even in, the, even in PDF land, actually, there's, um, there's a lot of content that still gets consumed just as PDF. It's obviously not necessarily content that goes up for sale because most um, ebook retailers won't, won't um, sell PDFs. But, for example, in government, content is almost exclusively in PDF, and the basic PDF out of InDesign isn't as accessible as it should be. And there's still there's actually a lot of work out there in the world to um, remediate PDFs and make them more accessible. Um, and people are thinking about that and putting effort into it now. I, I, I get requests for this kind of um, quotes on this kind of work um, a lot more. I, I mean, only I've had it in the last year or so, and it's increasing. So people are thinking about accessibility more, even for PDFs, um, in addition to ebooks. PDFs aren't natively as accessible as ebooks because uh, you can't always increase the font size and it's harder to consume on mobile. But uh, it's a thing, and it's a trend that's happening for sure. I see it in my own work. I can imagine that even just the amount of devices out there, the different formats that ebooks mm-hmm. or digital content can become available in, is some sort of barrier to how accessible you can make your product. Yeah, having one ebook that serves all of the ebook retailers out there has been a struggle for ebook developers from the beginning. Um, how to construct content so that it degrades gracefully across from ex- extremely agile reading systems down to the ones that will separate your CSS from it, um, from your HTML and do nasty things to the content. That's always been a concern for ebook developers. Um, but just go back to the, the my comment earlier about the simplest HTML. The simplest markup on that content is going to be the one that degrades gracefully across the reading system spectrum and survives um, even the most. Your quality assurance comment. Yeah, The easiest exactly. way to make yeah. sure that the device is not garbling your content is to test it as if you were consuming it the way your consumer would. 
Testing, testing, testing. QA is testing, and I think that in general, not enough is done from a variety of perspectives. Even in, you know, P, you know, Mobi Seven is an extremely clunky rendering engine, but it's still something we have to think about. Those Kindles are out there and they're alive and getting used by a lot of people. And so, if you want to understand how your content is being read by um, people who own legacy Kindles, then you should be testing in Mobi Seven, um, and and that's a really clunky reading environment. Oh, thank you, Laura, for answering all of my questions and talking to me today. Yeah, you're welcome. For more information on accessibility, please download BISG's Quick Start Guide to Accessible Publishing, an excellent beginner's resource. To learn more about what we do here at BookNet, visit us at booknetcanada.ca. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund. And of course, thank you for listening. We'll see you next month.